listening to a Benstown and McVeigh Media Podcast Network production. Welcome to Run It Again. I'm Ron Pitts with the coach, Mike Martz. Don't forget to visit runitagainpodcast.com and make sure you hit that subscribe button. Like what you've been hearing on Run It Again? Let us know by leaving a review on Apple. Coming up, we'll break down the making of an NFL head coach. We want to turn the mic around and hear from you, our listeners. Got a question for me or Coach Martz that you would like answered on the next episode of Run It Again? Just send us an email at runitagainpod at gmail.com or leave a comment on social media at runitagainpod. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode and for a chance to hear your questions answered. You're listening to a Benstown and McVeigh Media Podcast Network production. We'll be back after this message. Hey, it's Jesse Cage. Every Thursday, I release a brand new episode of First Match. It's your pro wrestler origin story podcast. And this week, a WWE Hall of Famer joins the show, Ricky Morton. I'm not here to pat myself on the back or put anybody else over. Robert and I paid the way for everybody that's in this business today. If y'all don't think so, literally, you can kiss my ass. Dude, no punches pulled. Don't miss Ricky Morton on First Match this week, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Run It Again is an inside look at the players, the coaches, and the business of sports with former NFL star and broadcaster Ron Pitts. And two minutes later, I was back in the same Oklahoma drill that I got the concussion from. And the mastermind behind the greatest show on turf, Coach Mike Martz. And we want to force him into a vanilla defense and go to work. Run It Again is a hard-hitting, no BS podcast that connects you directly to the source. This is Run It Again. Welcome to Run It Again. Now, here's Ron Pitts with the coach, Mike Martz. Before I get on to listener questions, I just have to say this one thing about something I saw on TV this, this weekend. And there's, there's two things on, on TV. One, one is something I watch every week, and I'm, the family has become addicted to it. And, and, and for our listeners who want something new, if they're not already 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 onto this, like I am, um, you know, then you might want to look at this. It's a show called Money Heist, and it's it's been going for a few seasons. So you know, I'm not up on all the the TV stuff, but it's been going for a few seasons on Netflix, and it's uh, it's it's a Spanish show, and they they. They subtitle it and, and and everything, and it's dubbed in English, so you can understand it pretty well. But it is so good, Mike. It it is so. I, I've never seen writing like this in my life. Really? And I, yeah, and I think it did two or three seasons, maybe not, maybe more than that. And they're due to come out with another season, but it is so good. So please turn it on. It's 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 the ultimate of thriller and drama. And like I say, it's so well written. We we were watching this this show. Uh, what was the name of it? With uh, Kiefer Sutherland and um, Designated Survivor. And, oh yeah, that was really good. Yeah, and it's funny. See, I'm watching all this stuff because I guess because of the pandemic and everything, and everybody's at home. All of a sudden, I'm watching shows I never watched before. I never was a big TV guy, but with the boys home. Because, you know, they couldn't go to school and everybody is home. The family's home. We're watching TV now. So I'm watching these shows that I'm like, wow, this is pretty good. 
So anyway, I want you to, you know, if you get some time throughout the weekend, uh, whenever, I want you to sit down and I want you to watch Money Heist and tell me what you think, okay? Like the old coach said, what's time to a hog? I got plenty of time. <laughs> what's time to a hog? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, so, so that's on your to-do list. I, I need you to get that done, coach. I need yep. you to get that done. All right. Well, I'll do that. Uh, okay. All right. That's the first thing. The second thing before we move on is – I finally saw something else sports-wise on TV that I like. And I know in, in NHL's going, NBA's going, I, I got all MLB, I got that, NFL's in training camp. I saw high school football. I did too, yes. Prime time. And you know what, Mike? I'm glad for those kids that they can play because that looked exciting. It was fun. It was organic. And it was – I just felt like, wow, okay, good. Let them play. Good for them. You know, I, I did the same thing. I watched two or three games on, on TV the other night. It was just awesome. They had so much fun doing that. Yeah, yeah. I saw, uh, I guess Deion Sanders is coaching his, his I kid. saw it, yeah. The quarterback, yeah. Yeah. Good player. It was, uh, he, dropped, good. Uh, he dropped one in there in the corner of the end zone for a big touchdown at the end of the game. I saw oh, that. Oh, yeah. yeah. His kid. Yeah. His kid's got an arm, boy. He looks like he can sling it and – I, I wish you would call Dion and talk to him about that uh, middle screen he threw on the goal line, though. I'm not sure about that one, but everything else looked pretty good. Yeah. But um, no, we're just we're just messing. That that's that was good. There was a quarterback in at a high school in Utah, Mike, and I'm going to find this kid's name for you. You know, for me, when I look at a guy, and I, as soon as I see him, it, it just seconds. I said, okay, he can play. And the way this kid got the ball from, from sh- you know, shotgun position, step back, and he's one of those damn Reno throwers. He throws from his hip, and it comes out of there, and the stroke is smooth. Mike, I, I almost called you up. I said, I said, who is this guy? And I guess he's got offers all over the country, but he's a good-looking prospect. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to find out the high school name. They played over the weekend. I'm going to find out the high school's name. And, um, yeah, and so this was Utah playing, playing uh, I believe, another Utah school. But yet the University of Utah, Utah Utes, they can't play football. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. Oh, anyways. Okay, so let's do this. Let's get to our listener questions. We've got three of them. So this has been working out nice. I like this. They've uh, – you know, we want to thank you guys for for uh, taking part and, and jumping in with not only your email questions but your social media questions. So, this is a two part question. This comes from Ike in Dayton, Ohio. First part: How will coaches decide who stays and who goes when there are no preseason games to decide from? That's question one. And question two is. Do you think it will take three or four games during the regular seasons for players to get into shape, game shape, get their timing down, and execute at the high level? So let's let's take the first part uh, first. How do you decide when you don't have preseason games? Well, we we kind of talked about this, you know, a few weeks ago, Ron, where we felt like all these teams would have to have full contact scrimmages with officials there and game-like conditions, um, and really that's what colleges do to get ready for the season anyway. Um, and I think 
from my knowledge of what's been going on talking to guys in camp, they everybody's had about two of those. And, and you really you utilize those situations to evaluate particularly your your big guys because the only the only time you can do that is when they have pads on and the speed of the game goes up. You know, the perimeter guys you can kinda get a feel for them on a day to day basis because it's more the skill type of thing. But the big guys really need linebackers, et cetera, they really need that pad work, you know, uh, you know, the full go, take them down to the ground kind of thing. And you gotta have at least two of those. I think just about everybody's done that. And that helps you evaluate, but it is a little bit more difficult. But uh, I, I do think, though, without that, it would be very, very hard to evaluate. I think uh, those padded practices where you simulate the game, I think, is real important. Right. And that second question, do you think it will take three or four games before guys get back into it? Uh, what do you What do you think? No, I, you know, from the physical standpoint, as you know, as a former player, you know, you go to camp. It wasn't like in the 70s and 80s where you practice your way into shape. You know, everybody goes to camp in shape. The only thing that you have to adjust to is the contact shape. Remember that term when you were a player, Ron? You know, it takes a while to, you know, get used to that kind of contact, particularly for the big guys down after down inside. So, it won't take long. Uh, there is an adjustment period, um, and I, I think that's the one thing that's missing in the league is, you know, more of those uh, inside contact type of things on a daily basis. I think helps the big guys. But yeah. I think I think it's not four weeks. I think within that first week or so, you know, you you will adjust to that and the being in contact shape and taking that kind of uh, those collisions is important. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so we're we're coming into now. This is the the final week of preseason, so they're going into this final game. And remember, on this week, Mike, we would play the games on Thursday or Friday, right? You, no more Saturday games because they want to give coaches and everyone a chance to, uh, you know, clean out the roster, get down to their their number, their final cut number. And then go on into the season kind of fresh and clean and, and with a few extra days. So that's that's what that's all about. But, yeah, I always I always felt like there's a difference between training in the offseason in shape and then when you come back and you go through minicamp, training camp, reaction shape, and then there's full speed, lights are on, game shape. I, I could never – prepare, no matter how many drills I did, how much jump rope I did, how many cars I pushed, hills I ran, whatever you want to call it, weight room stuff, I could never prepare for reaction. Reacting to a guy moving, coming off the line of scrimmage is totally different, completely different. And unless you're you're actually doing it, you know, in one-on-one drills in the offseason, stuff like that, and, and we were careful of that because of injury and so on and so forth it was never going to be the same. It would be close. And, you know, you would put yourself in a position where you wouldn't die physically, you know, from a conditioning standpoint, but it was never, I was always shocked at that. I would always go into mini camp or training camp thinking, man, I'm ready. I'm ready. And then as soon as I got to react to a guy, it's like, Whoa, that's a little bit different than, uh, you know, than that, uh, that, that board or that, that, that bench press in the weight room. And then, well, of course, game speed is completely, completely different. Now we're out there, we're flying. Yeah, and, and the and you'll remember the sudden change of direction with contact is totally different. Now you can do all those change of direction drills and footwork and 
you know, the weights and all that stuff. But when, you know, when you've got contact and you're at the quick change of direction, your body's distorted. It's in a little bit different position. And that's what you got to get used to. You're like a linebacker taking on a, a blocker, you know, in the walkthroughs and the practice and without pads is totally yeah. different than a guy coming out and getting in now and, and having yeah. to shed the blocker and use his hands and all those things, you know, need to be practiced. And they just haven't had a whole lot of practice time doing that. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Okay. Great question from Mike from Dayton. Hope we, uh, hope we answered that for you. Moving forward. This is Donna from Kansas city. And she asks Las Vegas says, meaning the gambling world says that, the Chiefs, Ravens, and 49ers have the best chance to win this season's Super Bowl. Do you think that we could see a repeat of last season? We could. Yeah, I just think, though, the Ravens are going to be a bigger factor than uh, people realize. I just, um, you know, I think he's pretty special quarterback, and I do believe that uh, they'll be in the Super Bowl this year. It, it's certainly possible it's a repeat of the Chiefs and the 49ers, but uh, I think the Ravens are going to be a bigger factor. And, and I do think the Cowboys will be a bigger factor as well. So we'll, we'll have to see. Yep. All right. And our last question is from Lee from Fort Wayne. I'm going to assume that's Fort Wayne, Indiana. I think there's more than one Fort Wayne in the country, most likely. Maybe not. I'm just going to throw that out there. Anyways, uh, with Phillip Rivers and now an Indianapolis Colt, any thoughts on the Colts' chances this year? Oh, boy. Um, I know they'll be improved. Uh, whether they're ultimately good enough, I don't know. You know, with what he's used to, the system that he was in for so long, and the timing, he's a timing guy. You know, that whole, like, the Ernie Zampezi, Coriel Digit system, that like what we did. The ball's got to come out real fast. Guys got to be there and – I don't know enough about their offense to know. And that takes a lot of, of development and timing together. Um, I think they can be real good, but it'll it'll be six weeks into the season before they start, I think, connecting and feeling good about the timing of, of the offense. I like his coach. And I don't like just like him because he's a former teammate of mine, Frank Reich. But I like him because he, he feels like uh, he comes out of that Doug Peterson mold, which he does because those are former players and not only former players, former quarterbacks. And I think quarterbacks see the game differently as head coaches. Uh, and I think that's, I think that's going to help Philip a little bit. Uh, Philip, you know, Philip is, is very, very aggressive, very fire. I always love that about him. I love his energy. Some people that, that turns some people off. That's never turned me off. Um, he's probably a guy that can, uh, you, you know, clap you up a little bit, get you excited. And also a guy that can, can get on your nerves and get on your case if, in that huddle if things aren't going well. And, and that can work both ways, can it? Well, it can, I guess, but yeah, you know, he's one of my favorite players yeah. all time personality wise. I, I mean, I just, uh, it's infectious. His enthusiasm and passion for playing the game. And you don't have a choice when you're in the huddle with him. You know, you <laughs> you got to bring it up to his level if you don't. And, and I think really his personality dragged that team, the Chargers, along further than maybe what they would have been without him, no question. You know, so yeah. I think that will impact them. But I do think that until they – I just don't know how different the offense is from what he – had in at the Chargers and I think that whole thing has got to mend and bl and just kind of blend together and 
when that happens, when they get a good feel for each other, then I think they could be real good. Yeah, I do too. I do too. So we'll see. Um, he's definitely in a new place, and I think it was time for that. And, you know, he's chasing that Super Bowl. Boy, they got close down there. And every time the Chargers were in that window, yeah, not only did they have to go through New England a couple times that way, but it seemed like every time they got close, something happened. I remember the one year Ladanian messed up his ankle, and I think it was up in New England, and it's just he couldn't, he couldn't go 100%. I want to say Rivers came into one game not 100%. Or they, banged they had, up, yeah. Yeah, they had guys banged up everywhere. It was just – in that window, once that window closes, it's it's gone. It's it's like you've got a short period, a short time, like they say, a window to to make it to the to the big dance in this business. And and once it's done, I you know the the, the worst the worst three words I think you can hear in, in professional football and people will say after a big loss is we'll be back. Yeah, that doesn't look like that. We'll be back. Yeah. No, you won't. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I've been there with that, unfortunately. And I think that, uh, you know, one of the, the biggest uh, things that people don't realize is how hard it is just to get there for, you know, the first time. And the assumption that because you were really good that year, that's just going to happen the next year. It just does. It's a whatever you did last year had no bearing on next year. That's why it's so amazing to me to watch teams who do do that you know it's harder the second time i think than it is the first time i really do it's just you know keeping guys focused and your roster changes and you know there's the expectations and it's just it's very very difficult to get there to begin with and then do it the next year wow that's that's an amazing feat to me yeah yeah it is so well thank you to our listeners, those were three great questions. Ike from Dayton, Donna from Kansas City, and Lee from Fort Wayne. And again, keep those questions coming because we enjoy going through this little drill here. This keeps us sharp and it, it keeps us uh, keeps us really into it. I, I like the challenge of this. And some some of these questions, I'm like, we got to really think about. But they're uh, they're great questions. So so thank you very much and, and keep that going. All right, Coach, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Run It Again after this message. There are families that will go hungry tonight. Every day, people who have been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. The need is greater than ever before, and your neighbors need your help. Donate today to support communities facing hunger during this time of uncertainty. Every dollar you give can provide at least 10 meals to children and families in need through the Feeding America network of food banks. Please make a donation today at feedingamerica.org. Thank you. Welcome back. Here's Ron Pitts with the coach, Mike Mars. Be sure to join them every Tuesday for a new episode of Run It Again. Mike, we are going to uh, take a listen here to uh, a guy you know, because it's, it's actually you. And it's talking about coaching and so on and so forth. So let's listen and then we'll talk uh, after this is done. I love teaching. Hey, hey, hang on a second. Every step, take a deep breath. I was raised to be a teacher. Uh, that's what coaching is. We don't want you out here now. 
If you're going around that corner, you'll be nice and snug. If you can help a young man maybe just make a little progress in his life, that's the thrill for me. I know it may sound corny, but that's why I coach, period. God, I love your enthusiasm. If you can help somebody or a team or a group of guys become something that maybe they didn't think they could do, well, there's not enough money that can buy that. We told them the very first night, if my experiences, no matter how much money they're gonna get paid or all this hoopla, down deep inside, they're really not sure that they're good enough. A lot of times that negative image or that thought, not being sure, can really tighten them up and block them from a, a good performance. What we try to do is reassure them that the fact that you're here means that you probably have enough ability to have the potential anyway to make it. So get that out of your mind. So eventually in football, you will become what you accept. I firmly believe that. Don't ever accept anybody's definition of who you are as a man or as a player or as a coach. Trying to take away that box that's put around so many kids that well, you're not big enough, you're not fast enough. And that's freeing. That's really when as a coach you go, oh man, this is fun. What an amazing feeling. So Mike, what does it take to be a head coach at this level? And that, that is such a broad question, I, I know. But if I guess if you can narrow it down to a couple things, what, what would it be? Well, a successful head coach, I, let me qualify. <laughs> let me qualify that. Yeah, there's been a lot of head coaches. Yeah. You know, well, well, first of all, I think the biggest thing is you have to realize that, that this is a game of players and that you're there to help them. You're a vehicle for them to achieve something, you know, and, and you know, the better job you do, the, the more likely they are to achieve their goals and all that stuff. So I, I think I think there's enough guys out there that feel like uh, this game's kind of about them and it never has been about coaching. It's always about – it's a game of players, period. That's just the way it is. Um, but I think the, the primary goal of any head coach is to provide direction, uh, not just for the team, but for that organization, whether he's in charge of that organization or if he isn't. It just the, the whole mindset and the direction of that team has to go and everybody gets on board. And I think that one of the best examples of that, in 1979, I was a coordinator at Fresno State. And I'd, I'd gone over to San Francisco to watch the 49ers in camp. There's, they had a new head coach, a uh, guy hadn't been a head coach before, Bill Walsh. <laughs> and I wanted to – and I saw him at the Chargers for a year down there in camp, and I was really impressed with him. So I, I went over. I mean, we had to put 49er T-shirts on and walk around and do all that kind of stuff. And But it, he was an ama it was amazing to watch him go from drill to drill, from coach to coach and teach and teach coaches, you know. And then afterwards, he had what they call a Chardonnay lounge in there. They had a, a room where they had some wine and some foods and, and, and stuff in there that you could just sit down and visit with, you know. And I, it was it was at the beginning of camp, and nobody really knew anything about him, and they weren't good the year before. They were terrible, so there wasn't anybody really there. It was me and maybe another guy or two. And so I went and I sat down the coach, and he came in, and he sat. I was at Santa Clara University up there in the Bay Area, and, he came in and he sat down and introduced myself to him and, and he was so cool. He just, he just chatted me up and he, and I said, coach, uh, you know, what do you think? Uh, what do you think about the direction of this team? And I'm telling you, Ron, he, for the first three years, he told me exactly what their record would be. Exactly. And I never forget the, he hit the numbers in the Super Bowl. He hit it right on the head. And he told me, he said, we, we drafted a guy in the third round of quarterback I, I love. 
He should have been a first rounder. He said, I love this guy, Joe Montana. He's just not ready yet. So we got Steve DeBerg, who played for for us at San Jose State. So I, I was there to kind of see Steve as well, right? So, and he said, this kid is going to be real special. So, you know, the ability to plan out and have, have a direction and understand how the steps along the way to project that is incredibly important instead of just taking the job as so many guys do. Hey, I'm a head coach in the league. Let's just see how this works out. It doesn't work that way. Not successful guys. You know, you got to have a plan when you go in and how you're going to get things done. But there just there's some major factors to it for me that I think he, I think the knowledge of the game for any head coach is incredibly important. You know, we were just talking about you know why why quarterbacks become good head coaches because they know the whole game. They're forced to know it as a quarterback, you know, and you an offensive line guy, that's fine. I mean, it doesn't mean that they can't be a good head coach, but you know Chuck Knox was a, an offensive line coach, you know, but he understood and knew the the entire game in detail. You know, I think that's really really important that you know, cuz you're a teacher and you hire good teachers. So you have to have that uh, you have to be perceptive enough to surround yourself with people that can teach the details of what you want done. You know, and then you just got to have, you know, guys that have great passion, Frank, right? It, it could be real verbal, it may not be, but you know a man's intensity when they walk on that practice field. You know, Chuck Knox would look at me in the practice field and I knew that I'd screwed something up. I wasn't doing a good enough job. So, you, you know, we didn't say a word to me, right? So, you know, the passion and the intensity for that game is catchy. And that's part of that leadership, you know. And you can't just go in there and be a head coach just because you want to be a head coach. There's that responsibility of the emotional part of it. Uh, you know, like we were talking about, right, in, in Indianapolis, now being in that huddle is different now than what it was in the past. They got to match his intensity. And, and that's what's so important for head coaches to have that intensity or that passion because it's the engine that drives everything. It just really is. And, of course, you know, Ron, you just got to have good organizational skills. You can't be disorganized and be a head coach as successful. And you, you just can't. You've got to plan out things in detail. And, you know, that when people are organized and disciplined, every man, no matter what they say, every man respects discipline. They may not like it. They may reject it. But they'll respond to it and they'll accept it. And the discipline in the organization is incredibly important. If you're disorganized, if you're not disciplined with what you do, then things just kind of fall apart, especially when things get kind of hot. Then to me, you know, Ron, the other thing would be character. You know, and there's a lot of aspects of character really kind of talking about, you know, you, you got to have compassion for your players and, and your staff. But they, they've got to be able to feel that they can come up and visit with you about anything at any time. And you have to establish that. And some guys' personality aren't aren't that way, you know. You know whether it's Bill Belichick or some of these other guys. Maybe they don't feel like they can do that. I don't know, but the the really good ones, the successful ones, are you know the the players feel like they can approach them about the game, you know, and ask them questions and and feel comfortable about that because they know uh, that you'll get a good a favorable response and an honest one, you know, very truthful response. I think that's really important that there's a trust that's built there. That's a basis of everything. Without that trust, you're just not going to be any good. I think, yeah, I think that, boy, well, that's some really good stuff there. It's, well, I, I know, think that's right. Yeah. You know, the other part of that though, too, Ron, the character part of it, they, 
you, they got to be tough now. There's you, you become a head coach. You have no idea of the target that's on your back. You have no idea the arrows that you're, you're going to get on a daily basis. And, you know, you think the quarterbacks have got to be tough emotionally. When you stand on the sideline, the two best competitors better be the head coach and the quarterback. You know, and they also have got to be the toughest guys emotionally because they, they're going to get abused more than anybody. When I went out to San Francisco as an assistant coach and I walked in there and and I was kind of in awe because this is Bill Walsh, you know, the Super Bowls and whatnot. And I was in that same building and I was working there. And, and I got to talking to some of the support people there and got to know them a little bit. And they said, I said, well, this is, must have been awesome during those years. He said, oh, no, he no. He said, everybody complained about him the whole time that he was here in the media. They just never felt like they, they were good enough. They could always have been better, you know. Now, then after he left, he was a genius and he was a great coach, you know. So there's, yeah. there's one of the greatest coaches of all time, if not the greatest. So, you know, you've got to be able to deal with those kinds of things, you know. And, but ultimately, you know, you, to me, you're there to help these guys maybe achieve something that even they didn't know they could achieve both as a player and as a team. And that's, to me, that's the goal of being a head coach. It's, it should be an unselfish goal. You're there to give of yourself and help these guys be, become champions. And, uh, you know, if you have, if your goal is to get in there and just be a head coach and make some money, which there are enough guys around that do that, then that's, you're not going to make it. Yeah. 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 You said the two biggest targets on on the backs are the quarterback and the head coach. No question. And, and, yeah. uh, <laughs> people have no idea. No. The kind of stuff that's being thrown at that head coach. See, they they what what they see on TV and hear on TV is one thing, and then there's the stuff that goes on in that front office. That is a whole nother game. Well, you know, I'm glad. <laughs> it's interesting you said that. I remember walking down to talk to the team after a, a significant loss. And um, I had just been in a meeting uh, with the front office about some things. It wasn't a good meeting. And we got beat. And this had nothing to do with getting beat, but there were some personnel issues that I didn't agree with, you know. Yeah. So now I have to go down and talk to this team on Wednesday morning at 9 o'clock. And when you walk in there, somehow, somewhere, you got, when you walk in there, you got to be on, buddy. You got to have energy and oh, yeah. you got to enthusiasm yeah. and be excited about that week and whatever happened last week now is gone. And if you can't divorce yourself from that and that meeting, then you're going to go down. It's just not going to work. You just, you, you've got to go in there and turn it on. You have to. And that's why I say you have to be emotionally tough. Yeah. As a player, after we had a, a rough loss or something bad happened, whatever it was, I needed the coach to tell me something. It could be one thing. It could be 20 things. I didn't care. But I need you to tell me something that's going to give me hope, that's going to make me feel like, okay, we can fix this. I can fix it. We can fix it. We're going to be okay. And it's not permanent. Because, you know, the, the thing about losing in the NFL, in it, and I don't know if you felt like this, but no matter how good you were and what, no matter how big the role was you were on, when you lose in the NFL, that next day, there's a little bit of you that feels like you're never going to win again. Uh, and I'm not saying that's a permanent thing, and I'm not saying it's a, it's a big thing, but there's that little voice and that, like, that little gazoo character in the back yeah. of your head that's saying, yeah. 
you 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 stupid bastards you, you're never gonna win again you know this this is the beginning of how it starts you're in trouble now it's <laughs> you so know what I mean? hard it is so hard to win a game and people laugh oh. that don't know you know fans am i but am i right about that feeling oh, yes yes you lose a game and you feel like you know you're on a streak you have to you have to guard so here's what i did and whether it's right or wrong after a significant loss uh you know, a tough loss or whatever. You have to tell the team this. Look, you, when we won a game, it, we come in here and things are a little relaxed. And you go, you go and make your corrections and you move on. But there may have, winning that game may have been just the difference of one guy made a play. And had that play not been made, we'd been here mourning, basically. So okay. what I used to tell you guys, get rid of that mourning. We're here to make corrections analyze, you know, the difference, the things that we've got to do better next week and get rid of that emotional hangover that you have. Don't worry about that. All the only thing you have to worry about is here's what happened and here's the effect of it. And here's how we have to fix that. They want players just want to know that they, it can be fixed and there's hope for the next day. Like you said, and all right, you go in there and say, here's what you did. You know, you had a false step here. You got stepped behind, you got beat, you got to fix that. If you go in and start grinding on guys about hey, you didn't play hard enough, you know all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Just, <laughs> the players don't; they just turn you off. And you want to give them the tools to fix and the knowledge to get better. And if if a player feels like you can help him get better, you got him. You just absolutely got him. If he doesn't, if he's not sure yeah. that you can help him, or mm. he's not sure you can trust, uh-uh, then yeah, then they just tune you out. That's right. And that's, you've been that's around exactly right. Yeah, you've been around those guys. Yeah, yeah. That's what that's that's uh, that's what what Dad used to say all the time. He'd say, "My my guys, all they want to know is that I can help them be a better player." And he said he was always most active after a game, after a loss. He said after the win, I wouldn't I wouldn't talk to guys, you know, because everybody's feeling great. I don't need to pat a guy on the butt and say, hey, man, great job. Oh, that was a hell of a run. Oh, the great catch. Man, you were amazing. Boy, you set a record. He said the time guys need them is when they just got their ass kicked and everybody's pointing fingers and everybody's looking at them and you, know, it's, and you can hear a pin drop in the locker room. He said that's the time you need to communicate. But and he was communicating is what he was doing. He was, he, he was being a coach then. And that, that, that's the teaching part I think was big as well. I've heard this a lot. You, you know, coach has to be able to teach. How many guys have we seen that were either great players, okay, or had success at another place, whatever? But they they couldn't they couldn't teach anything. It's like it's not what you know; it's what you can teach. No question. You know the you know Ron. That's the core of everything is the ability to teach details. If a player, if I'm coaching your corner. If I can take you out there and, and take you through some stuff and film it and take you and look at it in the classroom and say, look, Ron, here's what you're doing. Here's how you fix that. Here's how you get better with it. You're all ears. And you, I got you. And yeah. then you go out and you do it and you fix it and you're better and you can see that. That's exciting. Now, here, here's a little tool I used to use with players. And to the, Every year I ever coached, and particularly as a head coach, I'd ask the assistant coaches to get with their players individually and have them write down on a little three by five card, two things that if they do these, 
two things. If they accomplish that, they're going to be a much better player. Whether it's his pass set, whether it's no false step in the back pedal, you know, whatever that is. And then the whole idea there was, you know, through camp, if they if each player can get those two things addressed collectively as a team, you're way better. And so they can yeah. chart their progress. They can feel it. They can see that. And you have to be analytical both with wins and losses. You have to treat them when you look at tape the same way. Guys just tell me when we'd win. Again, I'd be grinding on their technique. and this. Hey, Coach, we won. I said, yeah, I know we won. That's got nothing to do with it here. We're here to get better. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's right. That's right. I remember we uh, we we played the 49ers once when I was in Green Bay. It was it was, it was a big win for us out there in San Francisco. And when we got back to Green Bay, uh, one of the coaches, Hank Buller, our, our defense coordinator, pulled me aside in the practice. And this was this was like a walkthrough, a, a Monday walkthrough. Man, everybody. <laughs> Still half half a little hungover from the plane ride home because we were so excited and happy. And he said, "No, Pitsy, listen, you you got to know when when they put that tight end in front of you in this coverage, they're they're trying to sneak somebody behind you, and and that's what they did. They ran that that little over under, and they put Brett Jones in front of me, and and I jump up on it, of course, and John Taylor catches the dig route behind me. You know, it's." It's like the first day of training camp mistake that yeah. I never should have made. It was it was freaking stupid. But that was his way of saying forget the loss. I mean, forget the win. Forget all the, the you know how good you feel right now. We've got to correct this because next week that's on film. And that's what circulates, and that's what the Bears are going to go after next week. So if we don't correct it, yeah, what we're feeling good about now, we're going to be sulking about next week. You know, it's interesting you said that. It's the first lesson I learned in the league as a coach is if if you do something on offense to a team and you get a big play, that team's going to see it for four or five weeks till they prove they can stop it. That's right. Or if somebody blitzes you and you don't pick it up, you're going to see that blitz for, until you prove that you can <laughs> you stop it. Or it's and, and same, player, right. It's the right. same thing as a player. If you run yeah. by a corner and if oh, the corner gives up a deep one, well, guess oh. what? Next week they're going to it's going to yeah. be a, a, a fight on the sideline to get out there on the field to see who can run by him. You know, it's just That's the way right. it is. So. That's why, you know, the point here in all this is you have to get better every week because everybody else is. The good teams get better every week, and it's a crescendo at the very top in the Super Bowl. If you're not getting better, well, if you're just staying the same, you're, you're going to be out of it. You just – you have to get better. It's so competitive. It's, you know, such an elite situation that you cannot blink. You cannot blink. Yeah. Two things. How did you handle the media? What was your philosophy on handling the media? Well, obviously, I didn't do a very good job of it. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to be honest with them. Um, I tried to answer all their questions all the time as, as honest as I could. And that probably wasn't a good uh, idea. I think uh, less is better is always the best way of handling it. And I don't mean you to lie to them. I, I'm not, I just offer no explanations. Just be short and concise and truthful with your answer, but, but don't offer explanations. And I, there are times I tried to explain things and it just, um, 
they just look for things within that. And that's their job. You know, I, I get all that right. to try to exploit or tear apart or, you know, misquote, which happens all the time. So the less is better and stay positive. And, you know, you want to, if you're going to explain, be very quick and very short with it. And the other rule that we used to have, and this was my rule as a head coach is I will never discuss a player's play um, other than to uh, praise it. So in other words, you know, somebody drops a punt and that's why we, we lose a game. Uh, they all want to talk about that. I'm just not going to discuss it. You know, how was how was Mark Bulger's play uh, yesterday? I'm not going to discuss that. You know, and mm-hmm. and uh, and they told our players that, and they always appreciate that because you're going to have a player or two who has a real bad game, and maybe it costs you that game, but all sins are forgiven. You got to move on that next week. You know, um, you remember uh, we had a fullback in, in 2001, James. Hodgins. You remember James Hodgins? He's a fullback. I, I remember the name. Yeah. 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 Well, he came to us in 99 from San Jose State. He was a defensive end um, and tight end from San Jose State. We made him uh, a fullback. He was 285 pounds, could run a 4.647. He's what we're looking for as a fullback. He would load you up pretty good, you know. So as a rookie, he was very nervous. Well, we're playing the Raiders in our opener in uh, preseason, and we're beating them. We get into the fourth quarter, we're ahead, and I want to hand him the ball. So I hand him the ball. He fumbled it. They go down and score. So we come back again, hand him the ball. He fumbles it. They go down and score. So we come back again. I hand him the ball again, and he fumbles it a third time. And and we lose. And we end up losing the game because of it. So afterwards, um, in the meeting, in front of the offense, I said, you know, James, you know, you probably thought we we're going to release you. And he, he said, actually, yeah, coach, I did. I said, well, the message is you have to believe in yourself way more than what you do because we believe in you. You're not going anywhere. You're going to be a really good player for us, but you got to get past that somehow. Wow. Yeah, you can, wow, you have to protect the football. You're just too good a player to, uh, you know, have a mistake like that in your career. We're, we refuse to let you go. You're too good a player, so buck up, buddy, and let's go. And, you know, from that point on, he was real good because he was such a good, good prospect. But you knew. You as coaches knew. I knew who he was. And you weren't going to let – you weren't going to let one game or three fumbles and the media pick your guy. Well, the media assumed we were going to cut him. You know, I said, we're not going to cut him. I, I have a vision on what he should be and can be, and then you have to coach to that vision. That's how you coach. Right. You don't coach to what you see. I never did. I never coached to what I see. I used to tell him, hey, you screwed up. You made a heck of a play. He said, what do you mean? Well, I expect that now every every play. What, what are you talking about? You can't be just an occasional thing. There's a standard that I have for you that you got to play to, and you have to prove to me that you can't do that or you can do it. Yeah, that that that's that's right. Yeah, yeah. I always like coaches that could. And Dick Duran, and I had a lot of good defensive back coaches He's throughout my best. career, from high school to to college to pro. But Dick Duran, man, he was something else. Never never a yeller or a screamer. Okay, and I already told you the Polaroid story when he asked me <laughs> yeah. if I was in the right spot, and I said, "Yeah, I had it." And he he didn't yell, didn't scream. He just put a picture of the Polaroid that showed me circled completely away from where I was supposed <laughs> to be. But that that spoke volumes. He didn't say a word, but it screamed volumes. 
and I never forgot it. And I was always the type of guy that that hit home to me better than anything else. You, you know what I'm saying? I I didn't need a guy yelling at me. I just needed someone like like that to say, "Oh, oh, that yeah. that got the point across." And I remember the thing he would always say to you if you made a mistake. The first question was, "What did you see?" Exactly. That's and, and, and you know, and you know why he said that? He would say that. He say, "I say that, guys, because it's different from the press box view. My view from what I see isn't the same as down on the field. It, the game looks different at field level. It is. Yeah. You know, talking to quarterbacks uh, during the game or even during practice, I can and having." A quarterback coach with me uh, start to correct the guy. I said, no, don't say anything about the read. If you made a bad mistake uh, through an interception, uh, I don't know what happened until we look at the tape. When you look at the tape and you look at the end zone copy and you can see what happened and, and maybe he was at fault or maybe he wasn't, but it's clear. And you, you have to coach off that. Sometimes, you know, things are so fast in practice. If you see it and you're sure it, fine, you fix it. If you're not sure, then keep quiet until you look at the tape to where you can be accurate. So, And that's how you build the trust because then you're not wrong. Right. You, know, you start talking out of the corner of your mouth about, well, you should have done this. And, you get, and he was actually right. You start losing players. Yep. Mike, give me a couple head coaches you like and in, in, in why you like them. Well, it doesn't have to be guys that are current. It can be guys in the past, guys current, whatever. Bruce Aaron's down there at uh, – I, I Tampa Bay. I just like his demeanor. I like his approach to the game. I think Bill Belichick, uh, because he's so thorough, and he doesn't leave any stone unturned now. And I, I just think the details of this game, his ability to adjust is impeccable. I think Shanahan at San Francisco uh, is for a young guy is ahead of the curve, so to speak, in terms of being creative. Uh, as is Sean McVay is at the Rams. Sean McVay, and I didn't know this until I talked to Marshall has that innate ability to break the game down into details, and he knows at such a young age. It's almost like he's a prodigy, you know, and I think that's incredible. Uh, I, I love Pete's uh, passion for the game, always have. Um, and McCarthy down there at, uh, at Dallas, I think he's going to – I just – I think they're going to be really, really good. Those are some. Obviously, there's others. Um, there's some new ones on the block that I like, but um, – like you said, Frank Reich, I think it's going to be real good. Uh, and then there's some that are going to struggle. Yeah, yeah. Well, we know this. No matter what you think you are and no matter what they say you are, uh, you are what you are, and that will be shown if you make it to the big one. That's how you will be measured in this business, and that's that's a hard but true fact of it, and that's how it's always been, and that's how it's always going to be. You know, Brian, it's, Marshall used to say this too, and I've always believed this. You have to prove yourself every day, every single day. Nothing you did yesterday has any bearing on today. You've got to prove yourself every day. Yep, that's right. Well, Mike, we proved once again that, man, we're pretty damn good, at least for 40 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> and yeah. uh, we're, our time is just about up. But, hey, remember that quarterback, that high school quarterback I was yes. yeah. bragging on yeah. earlier from uh, from uh, Utah? I, I, I got his name here. My son yeah. just sent me a note here. His name is Jackson Dart. And he darts he, at that, huh? Ja huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jackson Dart. Yeah, he throws darts. And he is from Corner Canyon High School in Utah. 
Cornerkey. And uh, apparently he just got offered by Utah State three days ago. So maybe they maybe they saw the film leading into that game or, or something. I don't know. But at this kid, look, I want you to watch the kid. I want you to watch him. And I want you next week, Mike, to give me an assessment on him. Absolutely. I, yeah, yeah. All right. Our, our executive producer, Roy Hamilton, is like, okay, great. You just wrote the show for next week. I guess I did. Sorry. We'll have to somehow squeeze this kid into be the fun. NFL part of it, but we'll make it work. Yeah, no, it'll be a lot of fun to do that. <laughs> yeah, it was It was fun to watch him play. And, you know, that was it was exciting. And, yeah, there weren't a lot of people in the stands. And guess what? It didn't matter because it was teenagers running around, playing football, having fun. And there was something, something very special about that. Absolutely. Agree with it, disagree to whatever. I don't care. I like it. Yep. <laughs> All right, man. See you next week. Thanks, Ryan. I'm Ron Pitts with the coach, Mike Martz, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Like what you're hearing on Run It Again? Let us know by leaving a review on Apple. Now it's time to turn the mic around and hear from you, our listeners. Got a question for me or Coach Martz? Send us an email at runitagainpod at gmail.com. Or leave a comment on social media at Run It Again Pod. Be sure to join us next Tuesday as we answer some of those email and social media questions. Plus, we'll break down the big matchups for week one in the NFL. Don't forget to visit us on runitagainpodcast.com and make sure you hit that subscribe button. Remember, we're just two old pros trying to make you think a little. Run it again with Ron Pitts and Coach Mike Martz. A Benstown and McVeigh Media Podcast Network's production. Executive produced by Roy Hamilton, producer Ted Woods, and technical engineer is Kevin Horton. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram by searching at Run It Again Podcast.